This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. All right, well, we're going to be back in Mark, uh, Mark chapter uh, 9. Uh, so if you're new, we're working through the book of Mark. Uh, it, it'll take us some time. Um, why am I doing that? That's not where I'm trying to go. What am I doing? Um, t- we'll take some time. So we sprinkle in some, some little series here and there. Um, on January 30th, right? That's, the, that's two Sundays from now, right? Am I getting my math right? Perfect. Um, <clears throat> we're going to, to have one Sunday away from the book of Mark, and we're going to have a covenant renewal service, just giving you the heads up on that. Um, my father-in-law is a Methodist pastor, and uh, we were at his church uh, the Sunday after Christmas, and they were talking about this upcoming covenant renewal service. It's something that John Wesley began um, many years ago, um, and I love the idea of it. It's just this time to, to come and to hear God's invitation to remember his grace, to repent and return. Um, and so it's a time to, to renew our covenant with him. And so that's going to be on January 30th, just to give you the heads up on, on that. Uh, but for now, we're still in, in Mark chapter 9. And so I want to read the passage, uh, and then we'll just talk through it uh, together for a bit. If you have your scripture, your Bible, I invite you to turn to, to Mark chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the back that we would love for you to take. If you've got a friend or a, a roommate or a neighbor that, that doesn't have one, grab it, take it, give it away. Um, we just want people to have the scripture. Uh, as, as a church, we believe that this is the word of God um, and that every word in here is true uh, and is right. And so we want to submit our lives to this. We all submit our lives to something. Something is ultimate, uh, whether it's, you know, our own intellect or, or science or education or progressivism. Um, we believe that this is true. It stood the test of time and will continue to. And so we submit our lives uh, to the word of God. So Mark chapter 9, we'll start in verse 38 and we'll read to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> John said to him, teacher, We saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. There's definitely some verses in here that are are a little confusing, but for for the bulk of it, and for where we'll spend the bulk of our time, um, it's not that tough to understand what God is saying here, what Jesus is telling us. The, the question is really going to come down to, are we going to believe the words of Jesus 
and obey them? Are we going to believe what he tells us and obey them, or are we going to justify and rationalize um, our own way of thinking and, and living um, in, in contradiction to what Jesus tells us? There are a few things in the world, I think, that have the power to, to really stop us in our tracks and grip us, much like hearing the diagnosis of, of cancer. I would bet at this point, um, everyone in here has been impacted by someone they love being diagnosed with cancer. Perhaps you've been diagnosed with cancer yourself, uh, and you, you've been through the, the battle of it. But, but when the diagnosis of cancer comes, what do we do with that? Like, what's our, what's our response to that? Now, my guess is that for almost all of us, if not all of us, we will do whatever we have to do to, to fully eradicate that cancer from our, our body, right? We, we know that cancer is a poison. It is a, is a toxin within us that if left unchecked, will, will continue to grow and will eventually steal, kill, and destroy from the inside out, if you don't do anything about it, it's, it's going to overtake and overrun our lives. And so when, when the diagnosis of cancer comes, we, and, and we encourage those that we love to do whatever we have to take to, not just partially, you don't be like, hey, just go and get half of it. The other half will be fine, right? Like, no, no, we want to fully eradicate cancer. The goal is cancer free. And so, man, we'll blast it out like we, we'll, we'll go in and we'll cut it out. We will, we will cut off parts of our body, literally, in order to remove this poison within us that will destroy us if left unchecked, if left remaining. And again, it's not partial, right? We're trying to get all of it because we know that, that cancer will eventually grow and, and destroy us. And so the question today is not, man, what are you going to do if, if cancer comes your way? We, we know what we're going to do. We're going to go at that with everything we have. We will do whatever it takes in order to remove it. The question that Jesus has for us today is, will you treat sin the same way? Sin is the poison of hell that will steal, kill, and destroy your life today. And if left unchecked, for all of eternity. Cancer can, can take the, the life today, but doesn't affect the life after. Sin, on the other hand, can take your life today and take your life for eternity after. We know how we'll handle cancer. We'll do whatever it takes to remove it, but do we treat sin the same way? Will we take the seriousness of sin and do whatever we have to do in order to fully eradicate that sin from our lives? That is the point of today. That's Jesus' question for us. Do we believe him? And will we follow his word? Jesus says four times between verses 42 through 48, four times the phrase, it is is better for you, right? He's given us this, this compare and contrast, right? These two options that are laid out. He's like, man, it is better for you. 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 What's better for us, Jesus? Like, yes, right? Who, I want better. Anybody else? Like, a little participation? Great, love it. We got a few people who would prefer the better route than the not better route. 
So what is better, Jesus? It is better for you to have a huge stone tied around your neck and drown at sea. Okay. Didn't see that one coming? It is better for you to cut your hand off. All right, Jesus. It's better for you to cut your foot off. It is better for you to gouge your eye out. Okay, when is that the better option, Jesus? Please tell me, when is it better for me to be drowned at sea? It is better for you to be drowned at sea than to cause another one to sin. It is better for you to cut your hand off than to sin with your hand. It is better for you to cut your foot off than to sin with your feet. It's better for you to cut your eye out than to sin with your eye. Jesus hates sin. Do you? D do I? It is better to do whatever it takes to remove sin than to let sin linger in our lives. It is better to live with the consequences of the removal of that sin whatever they may be, than to let sin linger in our lives. Do we believe him? Do, do we believe him? The first thing he addresses in verse 42 is, is when we cause another one to sin. He says it's better to have a millstone. That was a, a huge stone. It could weigh up thousands of pounds that was used to, to grind down wheat. He's like, man, it would be better to tie that on your neck and be drowned at sin than for you to cause one of these little ones. And he's not just meaning like a child. He's talking about one of God's children. It would be better for you to be drowned at sea than to cause one of God's children to sin. Jesus takes with incredible seriousness and weight and magnitude when we are the initiators, the instigators that lead another one into sin, even when we're causing our own sin, Jesus is like, man, just cut it off. But when we cause another one to sin, he's like, it'd be better for you just to drown. Like, now Jesus isn't speaking literally. He's not encouraging us to go drown ourselves at, at sea. He's not encouraging us to actually cut off members, like limbs, but he's speaking, he's trying to get the point across with hyperbole of how serious how big of a deal it is to remove sin from our lives and to not be the one that causes another to sin. And so I think one of the questions we have to ask ourselves when we read this and we're like, all right, man, we see that, man, Jesus isn't playing around when he's like, hey, don't cause someone else to sin. We better ask ourselves, am I causing another person to sin? And not just in, in action, but in thought, in belief. Is my life, the way I live, the way I speak, the way I act, is it moving people towards God or, or away from God? When people see me, do they love Jesus more because of me or are they turned off from Jesus? That's what Jesus is getting at here. It would be better for you to be drowned at sea than for you to be the cause that someone moves away from God. When I read this, I thought about um, a friend of ours at, at the gym. Uh, she grew up going to church. Her grandfather was a pastor. And, and she said that she saw the people within the church treat her grandfather with such disrespect and cruelty 
that she was convinced people outside of the church were more loving inside than inside the church, and she's never been back since. And I think, man, Jesus is talking to them. But, but before we, we, you know, start to think, oh, that's them and not us, we, we got to also recognize how often have, has our life turned people away from God? How often have we said one thing and then done another, and people are like, that doesn't, I don't, I don't get this. If this is what it means to be a Christian, I want nothing to do with that. If this is what it means to love like Jesus, then I want the love of Jesus. How many times has, has our life been a poor reflection, a, a misrepresentation of the character of God and thus turned people away from the truth of God? Parents, how often have we pushed our kids away from the truth of God? How often have we poorly reflected the love of the Father to our kids? Spouses, how often have we reflected the love of Jesus adequately? Does our spouse love Jesus more because of us in their lives? Roommates, do your roommates and neighbors, do they see and know God more because you're in their life? Has our, has our actions ever caused someone to, to care less about God? Has our anger ever pushed someone else into unjustified anger? Has our lust ever encouraged someone else to cross lines of morality they wouldn't have crossed? Has our debauchery and drunkenness ever tempted someone else to step into drunkenness, right? Have we caused others to sin? Jesus holds it in the highest, highest disrespect, it would be like injecting someone else with a poison, poisoning their food. It would be like going to watch a marathon or run their race and just sticking our foot out and tripping them. Right? It would be, it, Jesus sees it as cruel and wicked when we are the cause that the poison of hell enters into someone else's life. It would be better for us to just be removed than, than to cause sin in another. Do we take that as seriously as Jesus does? Are we dead serious about the influence that God has given us in the lives of those around us? Jesus holds it very high. And then he shifts to us in, in putting sin into our own lives Right? It would be better to cut off your hand than, than to do sin with your life. It would be better than to, cu to cut off your feet than to allow your, your life to go into a sinful environment. It would be better to just cut out your eyes than to watch filth and sin enter into your mind and heart. Jesus is very serious about doing whatever it takes to eradicate sin from our lives. Are we that serious? Are we as serious about sin as Jesus is? I remember hearing about Billy Graham. He was often criticized, right? He would, he would go and travel and speak, and when he went to a hotel, he had someone remove the TV from his hotel because he was like, it's not even worth it. I don't even want the temptation. And we look at it now, we're like, man, that's ridiculous. That's radical. 
You know, he would, he would not be, be alone with someone of the opposite sex other than his wife. Now, right or wrong, right, whether we agree or not, he was serious about not allowing sin into his life. Are, are we serious? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to remove sin from our lives? If we overeat or overdrink, are we willing to pour the bottle out? Are we willing to bring accountability into our lives and tell people, man, this is what I'm doing. I'm struggling with self-control. Walk with me. But if we find ourselves struggling with pornography, are we willing to go down to a flip phone? They still make them. And we don't need that nonsense. Are we willing to have accountability software on our computers? Are we willing to remove devices from our rooms at night? Or is that just too extreme and ridiculous, you know? For overspending, are we willing to have accountability with the budget? Are we willing to tell someone else, hey man, here's our finances? Or is that just too private of a matter? We gotta handle it on our own. If we've got addiction, are we willing to go to AA or to a recovery group? Are we willing to do whatever it takes? Are we willing to open up our lives for introspection and for others to shine the light on it so that there's just no room for us to sin? Are we willing to not be alone with our boyfriend or girlfriend because, man, we we just shown we don't have the self-control and so I guess we don't get to be alone until we're married. But is that just stupid? Come on, that's ridiculous, right? But Jesus is incredibly clear. Do whatever it takes to remove sin from your life. It is the poison of hell. You cannot love God and love your sin. One of them takes the back seat. Our problem is, gosh, there's many reasons why I think we struggle here. I think one of them is we are born as masters in the art of self-justification. I mean, we're just brilliant. We can talk our way out of anything. We can find the compromise, the gray area. It's not sin. I'm just holding fire right over here. I'm not sinning yet. And Proverbs tells us, can a man hold fire close to his chest and not get burned? Nope. Or I know that the, that the Bible says not to slander or to gossip, but I'm just, I'm just venting, you know. I just got to get, get it out. No, we're gossiping. We're, we're shining the light poorly on someone else. I know that the, the Bible calls us to be faithful, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm just window shopping. I'm just looking. I'm just flirting. I'm not actually doing anything. I know that the the Bible tells me to to be holy as God is holy, but come on, like that's not even really possible, so it's okay. Man, we are so masterful at justification, and the enemy, man, he's not going to take us from zero to ten. He just wants us to go from zero to one and justify that step because he knows what comes after one, two, We'll justify that one, then we'll get comfortable there. Guess what comes next? Nailed it. Three. <laughs> Boom. 
We'll get comfortable there, right? We haven't crossed the line yet. We haven't gone into the six, seven, and eight yet. We're just at three. What's four going to, it's fine. No big deal. I can handle this. Next thing you know, man, we're down the slope, five, six, seven, eight. You wake up one day and you go, how in the world did I get here? We started at one. Justified and rationalized it. We didn't take seriously what Jesus tells us. We lean in our own strength and understanding. I'm a good person. I can handle this temptation. No big deal. It's fine. No, no words. I, I don't need to loop people in. I'm not sinning. What is there to tell people? Are we serious enough about sin to cut it off at the root as Jesus tells us? Are we serious about it? Why is Jesus so extreme here? Let's be honest, this is extreme. You you try to fully eradicate sin from your life and you will look different than 99% of the people around you. It's extreme. Why is Jesus so extreme about this? Well, for one, he says it four times because it is better for you. These are the words of Jesus. He is giving you the better route. It is better for you to not have a hand than to sin. It it is better for you to not have a foot than to sin. It is better for us. Sin is the poison of hell that if left unchecked will not only ruin our lives today, but for all of eternity. Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death What we earn for our sin is death, separation from God. That's what you see in Genesis chapter three. Adam and Eve sin, and God's got to remove them from his presence. He he brings in death. If, If the presence of God is the fullness of life, then not being in his presence is death. And when we sin, we put an obstacle in between us and God that keeps us from his presence. And so until that sin is resolved and removed, then we can't be in his presence. Ergo, we can't have life. Which is why the grace of God sent Jesus to die in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous. So that our full record of sin could be nailed to the cross with Christ and could be buried in the tomb. And when we place our trust as him, as surely as he rose from the dead and is alive today, we can be made alive with God. And so we put our faith in Jesus, and he is the one that eradicates our sin from the presence of God. He is the one that makes us righteous. But if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, then you just need to know that you're carrying around your record of sin on your shoulders and it will forever lead us to death, to the unquenchable fire. That is why Jesus is saying, man, you got to, you got to handle this sin. Now you're never gonna fix it yourself. That's why we trust Christ and we're rescued from the unquenchable eternal fire. But then once we trust Christ, which I know many of you have, we still sin, right? So we can still hinder our relationship with God. So so much of, of what we miss out on is we settle. We settle. 
There is an abundant life that we can't even physically wrap our minds around that God has for us. An ever-increasing joy in his presence. And when we sin, we settle. We, we remove ourselves from that. And Jesus is like, no, no, it is better for you. Even if you have to suffer consequences, it's better for you to remove sin and be in God's presence with those consequences. Will we trust him? It is better for us. I mean, I know the temptation to try and handle something on our own, to not, to not face the humiliation of owning our sins, to not face the consequences that come with it. And Jesus is telling us right here, it is better for you to live with the consequences of your sin than to let sin remain. Will you trust him with that? Will you trust him with it? Another reason why Jesus is so passionate about this is because God hates sin. In Psalm 5, verse 4, the psalmist writes, you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. God hates sin as the complete antithesis of who he is. He hates it. It's rebellion, it's idolatry, it's wicked. We cannot love God and love sin. We can't. He hates it. It's partnership with the devil. That's why Jesus is so serious about it. Another reason is because sin insults the cross of Christ. It's a slap in the face of Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter tells us to be holy as he is holy. All right, that's not, a, that's not an optional, like, I don't know, maybe. No, no. We are told in verse 15, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Conduct yourselves with purity, with righteousness, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus was, was beaten and crucified and killed not because he had sinned, but because I had sinned. Not because he did anything wrong, but because, because you did the wrong. And it was his joy to go to the cross on our behalf. It was his joy to rescue us from our sins. But what an insult when we pick back up the very thing that Jesus died for when we know that we were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, but I'm gonna go ahead and sin anyways. It's an insult to the cross of Christ. When we come to the table and we remember that his body was broken in our place and his blood was poured out for our sins and yet we wanna hold on to the sin which nailed him to the cross, it's an insult to Christ. That's why Jesus is so serious about sin. 
Ephesians 4 also tells us that sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Right, when we trust Christ, the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of us. He is one with us. And so when we put sin into our lives, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. It'd be like putting a flame on your arm, and those two don't go together. You don't put an open flame to skin. The, the Holy Spirit recoils at sin. Right? It grieves him, it wounds him, it hurts him. And so we have to know that when we're putting sin into our lives, we are putting sin into the presence of the Holy Spirit and it grieves him inside of us. So we just have to be aware of what's happening when we sin. We are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And that's why Jesus is so serious about it. And then last, when we put sin into our lives, we diminish our saltiness in the world around us. That's what Jesus is talking about on the front and the back end of these verses. On the front end, right, he, you, you see John saying like, hey, there was somebody casting out demons in your name, but he's not part of our crew. And so we tried to stop him. And Jesus is like, why are you trying to stop him from doing a good thing? Like he's doing good in the name of Jesus. Who cares that he's a part of a different church? Praise God. You want to get all, you know, territorial on him. Don't stop somebody from doing good. He's being salty. Jesus would tell us in the Sermon on the Mount that as a Christian, we're the salt of the earth. Salt, yes, adds some great flavor to some chips and salsa. You know, like it adds some good flavor in there. You need some salt every now and again, right? But, but salt also is a preservative and a purifier. You can put salt in a, a wound to, to purify it and to clean it. You can put salt on something to preserve it, to last. And, and Jesus is saying, man, this world is man, it's going to hell in a handbasket. It is decaying around you. It is breaking down. You, church, are the salt of the earth. You are here to preserve this earth, to push back darkness until Jesus returns. You are here to bring purity into this world. But when we put sin into our lives, we are diminishing our effectiveness to be salty, to bring purity and purification and preservation to this world. So yeah, John, it's okay for him to do good. Let him do good. Let him do good. When you don't, when you lose your saltiness, how can you make it salty again? When you lose your influence with someone, and it's tough to rebuild that influence. And trust is gained in drops and lost in buckets. When we diminish our effectiveness, it's hard. It's hard to rebuild that effectiveness. And so Jesus is saying, man, we, we, can't, we can't be effectively salty to the world around us if we're putting sin into our lives. We can't live at peace with one another if we don't have salt within ourselves. If we don't have the purity and the preservation of Christ in us. So as we, as we wrap up here, I just wanna, wanna go back to the grace of God because how in the world do we do this? I mean, this is one of those passages that'd be really easy to just walk away with a boatload of guilt You'd be like, man, I should have been drowned at sea. 
a long time ago. I should be, at this point, you cut off my foot, and I, I mean, you got to work your way up. I, should, I shouldn't have any arms. You know, like, it, it's, it's really easy to recognize, yeah, I really, I, I minimize sin a lot. I don't take seriously what Jesus clearly has as a very high importance. I know you as well as I do, man. You've got these, I don't know, one, two, three things. You're like, I, I try and I try and I try and I try and here I am. Feels like your progress is not in steps, but just like in little scoots, you know? You're like, this is your progress. And you're like, gosh, come on, you know? And it's just so easy to beat yourself up just to inflict pain in your own soul. Which is why we go back to the mercy of God. I was reading this devotional, New Morning Mercies. Um, today is January 16th, so I was reading it this morning. And he says the, the little, that, that thing, I don't know, the italics. There's not a day without sin rearing its ugly head and not a day in which God's abundant mercies are not new. It's like, Paul, did you know we were going to preach on this today, man? He says, you can be courageous in admitting your sin precisely because God is richly abundant in his mercy. The mercy of God. When we sin, we build this dam up just like obstructing the flow of God's mercy. It's not that God's mercy is not there, it's that we've built this wall up and when we confess and repent, it's like pulling back the dam and God's mercy is just ready to flow over us. It's there for us in abundance. The mercy of God comes to you in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his mercy is always fresh uniquely fashioned for the sin struggles of this day. Man, so we can beat ourselves up all day long or we can just confess and repent and receive the new mercies of God. The grace of Jesus that not only forgave us for our sins for all of eternity but is here today to forgive us each moment and to refresh our spirits in his presence. So we don't have to sit in guilt and shame. We don't have to beat ourselves up. And we just turn back to the grace of God and we can know because he tells us so that his grace and his mercy is just waiting to pick us up and to move us on again. It is the voice of the devil that would tell us to sit and remain in shame or in sin. It's not the voice of God. His voice is one of love and grace and mercy. And yes, he doesn't condone sin, not in the slightest. He doesn't want you to stay there, but it is okay for you to not be okay. That's what he came for. But we can now move forward in freedom and forgiveness and life. And not only that, we actually have the ability to walk in freedom and life Impurity, because his spirit of righteousness is in us. Those fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace 
and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Those aren't things that you have to progress and work your way into. Like maybe one day I'll get to have gentleness. No, no. By the Spirit of God in you, they are present. It's ours to have and to walk in. But the devil wants to tell you that you've got to work your way up. No, no, it's there for you. The ability to say no to sin and yes to righteousness, it's there for you. The ability to be free from sin today, it's there for you by the Spirit of God in you. May we have the faith to believe it and to walk in it. Don't settle. Don't settle. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he does it by sin in our lives. Christ came that we would have life and have it abundantly in his presence as we walk in his righteousness and follow him. That's the invitation given to us. May we trust our Savior. Let's pray. God, as we pray, we ask that you would seal your truth in our minds and our hearts right now. As there is no doubt a spiritual battle taking place, an enemy that does not want us to move forward in freedom, you've already shown that you overcome and that you're greater, and so would you do that now in our lives? Bring freedom by a tidal wave of mercy and grace. Shame, you have no place here because Jesus has already won Guilt, you have no place because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Fear, you have no place because God has not given us a sphere of fear or timidity. Anxiousness, you have no place because God who sees the sparrows knows us even more. And so in the name of Jesus, we claim the truth and the life that Jesus has brought us and we walk in the freedom that the Spirit enables us to walk in. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.